Hello, and welcome to Eyes on Success, a weekly program covering a wide variety of topics of interest to people with vision loss. I'm Nancy Goodman Torpy. And I'm Pete Torpy. What we should take away from iOS 14 and these machine learning-based, AI-based features is how much can be done and how Apple will build on it, and also what kind of different products they might create based on this technology. That was Shelley Brisbane, who authored yet another book on iOS devices. Each year, she updates the book, and this year, we'll be talking about what is a great reference and also a great book about what's new in each version. But first, for our tip of the week... This week's tip comes from Shelley Brisbane. Well, here's my tip. We talked a lot about the recognition features, voiceover recognition features, and the one that is the most fun and also the most useful is image recognition. And I, as somebody with a visual impairment, have a habit of dropping things and then they roll away and then I can't find them. I'm really liking using the magnifier app with image recognition turned on to just sort of scan my floor. You have to move your phone really slowly because sometimes the uh, the voiceover gets uh, ahead of, of where the phone's uh, camera is. Uh, but uh, I've used it to find a few things, found some pens, found some bottle caps, just, just random stuff I might have dropped. And so uh, I'm finding image recognition is, is saving me having to go find a sighted person to help me. <laughs> You know, after Shelly gave us that tip, I actually tried it out, and it was really kind of cool. It was like having someone there looking around, seeing what's on the floor, what's on the countertop. As I moved my phone around, the phone just told me what it saw, just like a person would. So check it out. It was fun. Or you can let your wife help you find your wedding ring when you drop it on the floor. You are listening to Eyes on Success. Success, 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 success. Let's start by meeting Shelly. Well, Shelly, you've been on our show several times in the past talking about your very useful iOS books for accessibility concerns. But for those of our listeners who haven't heard you before, maybe you can introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about yourself. I'm Shelley Brisbane. I've been a technology journalist and writer for about 30 years. I've worked in the mainstream world covering things like Macintoshes and web development and wireless networking and the like. And eight years or so ago, I started writing about accessibility. I'm visually impaired myself. And so I was interested in finally sort of addressing issues that I've been working on in my own life. And then uh, the development of platforms like iOS from Apple uh, meant that there was a lot more accessibility to to write about. I'm also in my day job. I'm a radio producer with a statewide public radio show in Texas. And then I'm also uh, the host of a number of podcasts, some of which have to do with uh, technology. So basically, I write and talk a lot is what I do. (laughs) So you know all about tech and all about access. You're the perfect person to be writing the book we'll be talking about today. I'd like to think I wrote the right book. I wouldn't want to be writing the wrong book. Support for Eyes on Success is made possible in part by our corporate partners. Find out more about partnership opportunities by sending an email to hosts at eyesonsuccess.net. This week's focus topic is the latest revision of Shelley Brisbane's book entitled iOS Access for All, the Comprehensive Guide to Accessibility for iPad, iPhone, and iPod Touch. 
Now, as you mentioned, you've been putting these books together on iOS and Access and iOS for many years, and it's almost like a Bible. If you look at the table of contents, it just talks about everything in the world. But this year, there's a lot new in iOS 14, and you had to update the book quite a bit, I guess. Yeah, it wasn't the biggest update I've ever had to do. I think the features this year are striking because of the way they use the technology that's already built into Apple's products, uh, for example, uh, machine learning. But I don't know that it's as big an upgrade as some have been in the past. I think probably two, three cycles ago was one of the bigger upgrades. And this is, there. there's some nice new features, but I think for people who have been using iOS for a while, it's going to be familiar. There's just going to be a few new things in it that'll be interesting for them, both from an accessibility point of view and just a general usability point of view. And that table of contents is so long just so that people can easily find what they want to find. It's, it's the one book out there I know of that is comprehensive to all of the accessibility features in iOS. There's some other tools out there that focus, say, on uh, voiceover or switch control, and those are great tools, and I, I like those resources a lot. But my goal was to make it possible for you to just pick one book up and be able to find some information about any accessibility-related topic that had to do with iOS. It's a great reference book. Maybe you can just give us a quick overview of how the book is organized, and then we'll talk about some of the specific new features that came to iOS 14. Sure. The book has four parts. The first part is introductory material explaining the Apple ecosystem and how the iOS operating system fits into it and the devices that Apple provides and a lot of the services that Apple provides that part continues to grow as Apple adds more services to its offerings. Then the second part is several chapters that are focused around specific disability categories. So there's a chapter for blind users, a chapter for people with low vision, one for folks with hearing impairments, and another for people with motor disabilities. So that's where you would go if your accessibility interest is highly specific. If you're more interested in how to use iOS generally, things that are included in the system, and if you, or if you have an iPad, then the, the third part uh, includes chapters about those system level and, and iPad specific features. And then also, uh, the, and then the next part covers apps. So Apple bundles an incredible number of apps with its iPhones and iPads. And so I have a, a chapter, which is the biggest chapter in the book that covers each and every one of those apps in varying levels of detail. And then I address the accessibility of each app. And then finally, there's a chapter where I cover some of the best third-party apps, mostly in brief. But the idea is if you're wondering which apps out there are accessible and also happen to be really good iOS apps, that chapter is intended to be a compendium of that kind of information. So that, that gives you some idea of why it's so long. I'd just like to comment, this table of contents is really written like an outline and a fairly detailed outline. So it's very easy to drill down in. So if you're interested in a particular general topic, you can find all of the sub and sub sub topics all the way down to the finest detail just by looking through the table of contents. I don't want to assume that anybody's going to read the whole book. I mean, even my mom hasn't read the whole book, but if you have a particular interest in mind, I want people to feel like, say, if they're a low vision user and will never open the chapter about hearing impairment, that they're getting their, their money's worth and that it's something that's worthwhile to them. So it functions both as a tutorial for somebody who might never have used iOS, but also as a reference for somebody who has. And there's also a number of appendices that can be very useful that talk about 
hotkeys for using a Bluetooth keyboard with voiceover and Braille hotkeys, etc.? Yeah, there, there are four appendices that one of them is, as you say, hotkeys for voiceover, as there's also a compendium of voiceover gestures, and then Braille keyboard shortcuts. And then finally, there is an appendix that used to be part of Chapter 3, but it's basically how to set up an iOS device from scratch in voiceover, because it is completely possible as a, as a blind person to set up your brand new iPhone with voiceover. But if you don't know those voiceover gestures or if you kind of don't have the rhythm of it, you're going to very quickly uh, be in a spot. And so I wrote this extensive appendix that says, here's, here's how you do it. That could be very useful. There are a lot of settings and customizations in particular. Yes. Well, and the funny thing is one of the first things you're asked to do when you get your new iPhone is to enter a Wi-Fi password. Well, if you've never typed on a virtual keyboard that's going to be a little daunting for you. And so I go in fairly specific detail in that appendix. This is how you navigate the virtual keyboard. This is how you flick up. This is how you swipe left or swipe right. What those things actually mean in the context of setting up your iOS device. As you mentioned, if people are used to using iOS devices, have used them in the past, the paradigm is still the same. So it's very usable, but there are some new features. And you mentioned particularly some of the features that are built on the AI that's built into the device. Can you talk about some of those features? Apple has added machine learning capabilities to its hardware and also to its software APIs. And those are available, I should point out, in more recent iPhones and iPads, so the iPhone XR and forward. If you're not familiar with the iOS uh, platform, uh, we're at iPhone 12 now, but iPhone XR was a couple of years ago. And those are the first devices when machine learning hardware and software really became available. And it's now available on a few of the iPads as well. But what that meant is that Apple could not only provide access for people who wanted to do artificial intelligence or augmented reality kinds of things, but it meant that they could add some neat accessibility features that took advantage of those tools. The suite of features called voiceover recognition is probably the best example. So speaking of voiceover recognition, tell us a little bit about it. There are three parts to voiceover recognition, image recognition, text recognition, and screen recognition. And overall, the goal of that set of features is to make it possible for you to get more information about your environment and what's going on on your screen using machine learning. In other words, the device takes a look at what's going on, gives you, the voiceover user, audible information that you can then use to get access to information that you would otherwise not have because you don't have vision. Give us some examples of how that works when one has their iOS device in front of them. Sure. So image recognition uh, works with any app that uses the camera. So the camera app or the magnifier app are good examples. If you open up the camera app and uh, with voiceover on, of course, and with image recognition enabled, then the voice, voiceover will tell you what it sees around you. So if you're out in your backyard, as I was the other day doing a demo, it might say table, trees, glass, uh, you know, hat. There was a hat on the table that I was using for my demo. So it attempts with machine learning to identify what those objects are in your field of view. And whether you want to take a photograph of that object or whether you just want to identify objects nearby, that's a, a very cool new feature. So that can help you aim the camera and know what you're taking a picture of. Yes, absolutely. And in theory, it could also help you find something that you dropped. It could help you understand your surroundings. Maybe you come into a new room. But yeah, it's absolutely useful for uh, aiming the camera at the thing that you want to aim it at. That's great. So what other ways does this work? 
So screen recognition is an interesting feature because many apps are voiceover compatible. In other words, voiceover will read what's going on in the app, the interface, the button bar, that sort of thing. But some apps are not. And what that means is that the developer has not labeled buttons. He's not made that interface available to voiceover. Well, screen recognition attempts to solve that problem by using artificial intelligence to guess at what those interface items are. A back button, if you've never seen one, is usually a left pointing arrow. So if your device sees a left pointing arrow on that screen, it'll say something like probably back button. If it sees a little button at the bottom left of the menu bar that is a picture of a house, it'll say probably home button. Doesn't always work, but the idea is that it will interpret things even if they haven't been labeled for voiceover, meaning that some apps that are completely inaccessible otherwise are accessible. And what's nice about this feature, because it takes a little bit of horsepower, and there are a lot of times when you don't need it if you have a completely accessible app, is that you can enable, enable it globally or you can enable it on a per app basis. So in other words, you know a particular app isn't accessible, you enable screen recognition and it's going to help you figure it out. So just for people who are looking for that feature, I believe there are two ways of activating or not that feature on a per app basis. Yeah, each of the features I've been talking about in voiceover recognition, image recognition, text recognition, and screen recognition can either be turned on in settings or they can be turned on and off via the rotor. And then as far as the per app part of it, once you open up an app with one of those features enabled, it will add that to the list of apps for which it is supported. You can then go back in via settings and say, turn it off. Or if you're in an app, let's say you're in, there's an RSS reader I like called Reader that is unfortunately not very accessible. If I open up Reader, it knows that I want to use screen recognition with it, but using the rotor, I can also turn that off in real time if for some reason I don't want it. And you mentioned there was a third way in which Apple is using these built-in AI features. Text recognition is a nice one in that if you've ever spent any time on social media, you've probably encountered these image boxes that have text in them. There are all sorts of places in our lives where we see images that contain text, and it scans that text and it reads it aloud to you. It's similar to the way you would do it with an OCR app. You've always been able to, say, take an image and share it with something like NFB Reader or uh, Scanner Pro or something like that and have it go and read the text to you. But this is built into the operating system. You don't have to go and share it out. You can open up that Twitter post, tap it to isolate the image, and then you can use voiceover gestures to have it read text. And it, it does a pretty good job. It does. I'm impressed. I get a lot of text messages from our friends. They'll take a picture and not only will voiceover describe the scene, tell you if there's people or a bridge or a tree in the picture, but if there's a sign in the picture, it will often read the sign that's in the picture. Yep, that's very helpful. On the other hand, it does occasionally get it wrong. <laughs> Many of our friends send out pictures of beautiful sunsets, and we live in Golden, Colorado, a couple miles from where the foothills start into the Rockies. And the other day, the clouds were lit up bright red and voiceover guessed that there was a fire in the sky. <laughs> yeah, it, it does make mistakes. And I've seen that with uh, image recognition, too. And I've done things like array a set of objects on a table and point my phone at them to try and see if it can identify them correctly. Sometimes it makes mistakes that, to my mind, are honest mistakes, and sometimes they're funny. I had a folding white cane that I didn't really expect it to identify, and it said it was a pen and pencil. It's a really big pen. <laughs> <laughs> it, 
correctly identified my my red hat. It thought my face mask was a black shirt. You know, things like that. But it's in it's it's often in the ballpark. And I think Apple would say the same thing. You shouldn't rely on this for for life or death situations. If if you think that there's a fire in your picture, you should probably get some additional information to find out if that's true. Uh, my favorite one, just because I just remembered it, was uh, I was I took my phone out to sort of go down the street and see what I could see. It's really good at identifying cars and their colors, which could be helpful if your friend is coming to get you and they have a red car and you can't see that. So I, I walked up the street and, uh, you know, red car, uh, shrubbery, street sign. And then it says, uh, house, probably a scene of destruction. <laughs> <laughs> there was a little stuff in the front yard, but it wasn't that bad. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. One of the other new features I thought was interesting was the app library. Can you talk a little bit about that? So a lot of us, if we've had our phones for any period of time, have probably downloaded a bunch of apps. You can obviously delete apps. You can put them in folders. You can put them in other home screens. Uh, But app library is something that Apple created to essentially alleviate the need for that sort of organization of your apps if you don't want to. So any app that you have downloaded, you can go to this screen called App Library where you can search for an app. Apps are organized into folders by category that Apple has created. So you could go and look in your productivity apps and find all the apps that that meet that description. Uh, You could go in games and utilities and the same sort of thing. So the idea is if you just don't want to organize your apps or if you just forget to organize your apps, App Library is there waiting for you. So it's a quick way to not have to search for apps. Great. It just gives you an alternative way of looking at the contents of your home screen. Yes, it can be a great way to get a good overview of what's on your screen. As you say, if you're looking for a particular app, you don't know which page it's on. It could be in a subfolder. You could search forever, but going to the app library makes that a really easy task. Well, and the other way of doing that, every once in a while, we'll use each other's phone, and I have no idea how his apps are organized and vice versa, and I just turn on Siri and say, open whatever app I'm looking for, because I'd never find it. Exactly. The other feature I've been having fun with is the ability to put widgets on your home screen. Can you tell people a little bit about what widgets are and how they can be useful? Widgets are really fun. So if you've used iOS before, if you've used the Today View, so you flick right from your home screen, and there's this screen where there are little boxes with information about your calendar and about weather and about news and what other apps you are interested in that you've put on that page. That's been around for a while. But Apple basically souped this feature up and gave developers the ability to create Uh, widgets, which are either little squares, little rectangles, or bigger squares. And each app can contain as many different kinds of widgets as the developer can think to have. So for example, a weather app could have a widget that is just the temperature and another widget that is the five-day forecast. A calendar app could have here's my day and another widget that's a monthly view. So it gives you as a user a lot of options. Say, I love this app. I want to know the weather And I want to know the um, events coming up on my calendar, but I have a particular way that I want to see them. So those are available in today view as they always have been with the addition of this customization I was just talking about. But now you can also put a widget on your home screen. So one of those little squares that is the weather just just today's temperature uh, could go onto the home screen in the place where part of the app grid was. And what's interesting about the widgets is you can see this information without having to open the app. So if you have the weather widget, 
you'll just see the temperature there. You don't have to open the weather app and then go close it again and go back to your home screen. Exactly. It's a little like having an Apple Watch. That, to me, is one of the values of an Apple Watch is that you can look at this small bit of information, just the information that you want or need at that moment. What other feature of the widgets is, as you mentioned, they will normally take up a little bit more space on your home screen. So some of these take up a two-by-two grid instead of just their single slot there. But it's nice that you can actually stack the widgets on top of each other and easily swipe from one to the next. Right. They call that a smart stack, and that's available either on the home screen or on the Today View. But you can stack any set of widgets in any way you want to. And one way might be, this is the set of widgets that I want access to as I'm working through my day's appointments and stuff like that. Or maybe you have a photo widget, and then you have a widget for a social network. So you have like a smart stack that's all about things that are fun or things that are you know visually pretty if you're using vision. What other new features in iOS 14 would you like to highlight? So there's one feature that's available only in a few iOS devices, but that I think has a lot of implications for accessibility going forward. It's called people detection, and you need to have an iPhone 12 Pro, 12 Pro Max, or 2020 iPad Pro. Now, what do those three devices have in common in addition to support for machine learning features? Well, they also have a LiDAR scanner. LiDAR is the same scanner that's used by autonomous vehicles to help the vehicle understand its surroundings. And so LiDAR is included in those devices. A lot of it is to help photographers because it assists them in in understanding lighting conditions and measuring the distance between the photographer and the object and that sort of thing. But for accessibility purposes, there's a feature called people detection that allows the magnifier app to tell you whether there is a person in proximity to your viewfinder and how far away they are. And so that would be useful if you walk into a room and you're, we're in the pandemic mode. So if you want to stay socially distant from somebody, it could tell you there is a person five feet away. Well, I'd like to be six feet away or seven feet away so I can move accordingly. Or maybe you're going to a restaurant or going getting on a bus and you want to make sure that the chair that you'd like to occupy is not already occupied. So it can tell you there's a person there. There isn't there, there, Or if it doesn't tell you anything, then you know there's not a person there and that the chair is available for you. And for some people, I think that's going to seem like a no big deal kind of feature. And it's probably not a reason that somebody would buy a device as expensive as an iPad Pro or an iPhone 12 Pro. But LiDAR is a super interesting feature from an accessibility point of view because it's going to make it possible for Apple and other developers to create navigation apps that give us information about our surroundings. It doesn't have to be people. It can be how far away is this specific kind of object. You combine it with machine learning and it can say, this is a street sign. It's 10 feet away from you. This is an obstacle and it's 10 feet away from you. All sorts of information will become available in the future based on this LiDAR scanner. And right now you can see a little bit of how it works with this people detection feature. Again, it's in the magnifier app and you have to have one of these high-end phones to use it. Boy, that is really cool. So is there anything we missed that you wanted to talk about? Well, I'll talk about one other accessibility feature that is not really specific to uh, the use of, of blind folks. In fact, it's probably more useful for people with hearing impairments. It's called sound recognition. And this one is, I've played with it a little bit, and it's interesting. And I again, it's not something that you should rely on, but it is really a cool implementation of technology. In sound recognition, when you turn it on, there are a number of sounds 
that you can tell iOS to try and identify. And they include things like dogs barking, doorbell ringing, water running. Okay, why would you want to identify those sounds in your environment? Well, if you have a hearing impairment, you might not be aware of those sounds, baby crying, things like that. Those are the kind of sounds that might alert you that you need to take an action. If your baby's crying, you probably want to go see it. If the doorbell's ringing, you probably want to go answer the door. And when one of those sounds is detected, it will flash a light on your device and you'll get a notification that that has happened. But I, I find that to be a, a really cool feature and would probably help some folks with hearing impairments. Well, it will be interesting to see how Apple builds on these AI technologies and LiDAR technologies in future versions of their devices. Yes. You are listening to Eyes on Success. 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 Now for this week's final item, how to learn more about Shelley Brisbane's book, how to get it, and how to contact her directly. Remind our listeners, Shelley, about the name of your book and how people can obtain it. My book is called iOS Access for All, Your Comprehensive Guide to Accessibility for iPad, iPhone, and iPod Touch, and that title pretty much says it all. You can buy it at my website, which is iosaccessbook.com. It's also available in the Apple Bookstore. If you buy it from my site, you can get it in EPUB or PDF format. The format at the Apple Bookstore is also EPUB. I like it a little better if you buy it from me because then I get the benefit of, of all the money and Apple doesn't get a cut. But I'm happy to have you buy from Apple if that's more convenient for you. The iOS 14 version is out now and you can buy the book in any format for $25. Some people are interested in having the book in both EPUB and PDF format. So if you want both kinds, you can get a zip archive that has both of them for $30. Do you have a social media presence? You can find me on Twitter at Shelly, S-H-E-L-L-Y. The, the book also has a Twitter account, iOS Access Book. You can follow me at either place or both. And if somebody wants to ask you a question, what's the best way to reach you? Probably Twitter. Just tweet me at Shelly or at the at iOS Access Book. And you mentioned that you have a podcast. Can you tell us a little about the podcast and how people can listen to that? My podcast is called Parallel, a tech podcast with accessibility sprinkles. What I do is I get folks from the mainstream tech world. I have a lot of friends who are journalists and developers and other folks who, who just work in technology, don't particularly have to do with accessibility. But then I have a lot of acquaintances and people I'm aware of in the accessibility community as well. And I don't think we talk very often. So what I like to do is bring folks from the mainstream and the accessibility world together. We'll talk about a technology topic and there will be some accessibility discussed, but we have a conversation that I think people in the mainstream can also enjoy. You can find that at relay.fm slash parallel. And you can find all that contact information in the show notes associated with this episode at www.eyesonsuccess.net. As long as we're talking about iOS devices, I want to remind our listeners about the search field on our website. We've done many shows on iOS devices, different apps, and different applications for these devices. So if you put iOS into the search field or Apple into the search field, you'll find a list of all those shows. That's it for show number 2051. Next week will be our year-end special from our 10th year. It is hard to believe that we've been doing this show for 10 years. And next week, 
we will be playing excerpts from an interview that Larry Gassman did of us that appeared on Tech Talk a few weeks ago, and we will cover the history of Eyes on Success, a little bit of the mechanics, and some fun highlight clips. So you won't want to miss that episode. should be fun. You've been listening to Eyes on Success, hosted and produced by Nancy Goodman Torpy and Peter Torpy, and distributed by WXXI Reach Out Radio. You can access the full archive of previous shows, subscribe to the podcast, and much more by going to our website, www.eyesonsuccess.net. If you have questions about anything you've heard on the show or have suggestions for future shows, send an email to hosts at eyesonsuccess.net. Thank you for listening and have a nice day.